Church, my church. Good to see everybody. Today's message is faith without works is dead. It's James chapter two. I heard some something said about a month ago uh, on Moody Radio, uh, about seven in the morning, I was on my way to work. It was the Carl and crew uh, segment. Uh, someone said there that we just don't think right without the word of God. They also said, don't trust your own thoughts without the word of God. And I believe that was very, very true. And I wrote that down. And so I want us to, I want to go through James chapter two. I'm led to go to James chapter two. And of course, the, the title is Faith Without Words is Dead. Um, James gives us practical answers on how to deal with sin and all that life throws at us without losing hope and joy and without becoming bitter and unstable. In essence, his message to us is, listen, if you want to be a Christian, be a real one. The book of James explains how you and I can live out faith. What does practical Christian Christianity look like? It's about living our faith and our faith in everyday situations with everyday people doing it victoriously. So let's find out. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, I'm happy to share your word this morning. Uh, you've done a great work in my heart. For years before, I was scared out of my mind. I always have a healthy view of preaching your word. Uh, this is no light thing. Um, but I'm, um, I'm happy and I'm privileged to be able to stand here with all sincerity uh, to share your word. And I pray that hearts would be open to receiving truth from your word. I pray that there are thirsty souls here, that they will admit they're thirsty, and I pray that uh, uh, I will not disappoint. Your word will not disappoint. Your word will not return void. So I pray the message really speaks to hearts in a real deep way for your glory. Uh, and what I, I want to honor you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. There's really two parts to James chapter two. The first half, James talks about uh, the sin of favoritism in verses one through 13. Then in the second half, James talks about faith without works is dead. The key verse to the chapter, I believe, is the last verse when it says, for just as the, as the human body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works of obedience is also dead. If I, if, I say I, if I say I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ, the Lord, that I'm going to consistently and progressively do what the Lord wants me to do. 
what the word of God says has to match what I do. This is, this is what really ties the two topics of this chapter together. The word of God has to match what I do. You know, James wrote chapter two to a very uh, partial age that was filled with prejudice and hatred based on class, uh, ethnicity, nationality, and religious background. In the ancient world, people were routinely and permanently ca characterized because they were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, rich or poor, uh, you know, or whatever. A significant aspect of the work of Jesus Christ was to break down these walls that divide humanity and to bring about a new race of mankind as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 emphasize that. The unity and openness of the early church was really shocking to the ancient world. Remember Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, where he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, let's go back to James chapter 2. This command to not show favoritism did not come automatically. As this command uh, from James shows, the apostles had to teach the early church to never practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality. You might be thinking, oh, this isn't applied to me. I don't show partial, I don't show favoritism to anybody. Okay, well, let's just see what the book of James says about this in verse one through verse four. He says, my fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality towards people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. What do you think James means when he says your faith? He's talking about our fellowship with God and our obedience to him. What James is really saying here is, if our glorious Lord Jesus Christ truly is our Lord, then we will not treat some people better than others, and we will not treat some people worse than others. But wait a minute. I would be, uh, it would be good, rather, uh, of us to slow this thing down a bit and be brutally honest with ourselves on this topic. The same way we, we should of any area of our lives that really, that's really not in the will of God. We should ask the Lord, Lord, do I show favoritism toward certain people? And Lord, how have I shown favoritism to others? When have I done that, Lord? Let the Lord show us, or show you, show us, that you, in fact, have done that 
If it's true, be willing to confess that to the Lord and be willing to repent to God for having that mindset, that attitude. Let's be like the psalmist where it says in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me uh, the way everlasting. Okay, well, it, uh, you know, uh, what is favoritism? What, what, what is favoritism here? What does that mean? It's having an attitude that thinks a particular group of people are worthy of my respect, while another group is not. It, dis it discriminates makes a distinction against people in a judgmental way. It makes value judgments based on race, class, or culture. It makes judgments in a condemning way about people based on their outward appearance. Favoritism is like a coin with two sides. Favoritism can go, can go both ways. Those who get our praise and benefits get the head side. Those who put down get the tail side. But it's the same coin. It's still favoritism. And the Bible says it's sin. James explains, for if a man comes into your meeting place wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in this good seat, and you tell the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on the floor by my footstool. Man, imagine that. Imagine how that would look. To suggest that the poor man, if he uh, did want to take a seat, you would have him sit down under your footstool? I would think that position would be pretty low, don't you? So you would have the poor person sit in your meeting place in a very demeaning way. Scripture goes on to say, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? Or in other words, if you really believe that some people are better than others and you treat them that way, you would be acting like a crooked judge. So let's see what's going on here. Look at verse two again. What is the common denominator that you see here? These two people both have come into your meeting place. They both came to your church. Why do people come to church? They come to worship God. Maybe they come as visitors wanting to be fed spiritually. They were invited to come or they just came to drink in the word of God for themselves. Maybe they both came with some burden they've got, some burden they're trying to deal with. And so they are hungry. They are looking for some answers from God to help them cope help strengthen them, encourage them, and give them hope 
and direction to help them in their lives. So there, so there they are. And they happen to be in a place in their lives where they're experiencing abundance or the lack thereof. But they both came being made in the image of God, right? And God loves them both, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Maybe our sovereign Lord had them in their situation for some reason that only God Almighty knows why. And so they both came to your church. And now they meet up with you. Here you are, not walking with God right now, living in the flesh with a heart attitude of showing favoritism toward others. Well, James is telling us, yes, this attitude, this way of thinking is wrong in God's eyes. It's sin. Because you're treating the rich person with respect, but you disregard the poor person. You've judged, condemned in your mind that the poor person is not worthy of anything good. So what you have done through your mindset and actions is you've actually insulted the poor person. You've put the poor person down. And so what do people do when, they're, when they've been insulted? What have you done when you've been insulted? You might be shocked. Your feelings might be hurt. You might even get angry and maybe want to pay them back for disrespecting you like that. Let me ask you this question. The poor person came to your church wanting to worship God and meet some new people. The poor person came ex excited and hoping maybe even a maybe he was a little a little bit nervous because this is new and a little different. But the poor person came and experienced being disrespected and put down. But the poor person came to your church to worship God and hear a good message from God. Do you think that that person would then be at a place to be able to actually hear and receive a message from God? I'd say at that point, probably not. And for that, you would have been you would have allowed the enemy, Satan, to use you to, to discourage that person from hearing and receiving truth from the word of God at that time, possibly. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 19, making up with a friend you have offended is harder than breaking through a city wall. So because of how you treated the poor person, that person may not be able to hear or receive the message God had them for that day. So now God has something to say to you about your attitude. And that's in verses 5 through 13. And it says, my dear friends, pay attention. God has given a lot of faith to the poor people in this world. God has also promised them a share in the kingdom that he will give to everyone who loves him. You're mistreated. You mistreated the poor. In other words, it's all about you, really, because you think poor people can't give me anything. So why bother? Besides, they're cramping my style, man. 
they are making me look bad associating with them. But I have, a, but I have, a, I have a good chance to get something valuable from a, from the rich. Plus, that's going to make me look good associating with the rich and famous. James goes on and says, but isn't it the rich who boss you around and drag you off to court? Aren't they the ones who make fun of your God, fun of your Lord? You will do all right if you obey the most important law in the scriptures. It is the law that commands us to love others as much as we love ourselves. Oh, but do you see this church? Do you see this? To love others as ourselves would involve what James told us earlier. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's the doing that must match what we are as believers. James goes on and says here in, in chapter 2, but if you treat some people better than others, you have done wrong. And the scriptures teach that you have sinned. If you obey every law except one, you are still guilty of breaking them all. The same God who told us to be faithful in marriage also told us not to murder. So even if you are faithful in marriage but murder someone, you still have broken God's law. Speak and act like people who will be judged by the law that sets us free. Do this because on that day, on the day of judgment, there will be no pity for those who have not had pity on others. But even in judgment, God is merciful. Or so, or so be merciful and you will be shown mercy on the day of judgment. We will be wise to always remember that our God sees everything we do and think, and he knows us through and through. That's Psalm 139. And one day after we die, we will all have to give an account of our lives to God. That's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. says, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Understand something here. Death is not the end of our existence as a believer or non-believer in Jesus Christ the Lord. Tony Evans points out, human beings, however, typically live as if death is the last word. Therefore, people uh, want to fulfill all their desires before they reach the end. But remember, death is a transition, not a conclusion. Judgment is coming. For us as believers, judgment is not to condemn us to eternal damnation, but to determine for all eternity what rewards we will receive or not receive based on what we did in our lives here on earth. Sadly, for the non-believer in, uh, in Christ, for those who don't know Jesus as Savior, they will be condemned to eternal damnation. 
just be mindful that we all are accountable to Almighty God. And so we need to be constantly dealing with our own hearts. Like the Bible says again in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Amen. So the central lesson, the takeaway for us here in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, is this. To have an attitude of favoritism is sin. It's not God-honoring. It's not the will of God to treat people that way. God demands complete obedience to him. God is saying, I want you as a follower of me to be consistent in your life. How can you say you love God but hate certain people in what you do in your life? That's inconsistent. It doesn't please God to live like that. You might think, man, this, this, this is impossible to do, to obey all the commands of God, and you might be right. It is impossible to live the Christian life in our own power. We can't do it. So just be honest with God. If you really are prejudiced towards certain people, if God is showing you here that you have shown favoritism toward others and you haven't confessed that to God, do that now. Do that now and get right with God now. Allow God to change your heart in this area and all areas of your life that God has shown you isn't right with him. True followers of Jesus Christ deals with their own hearts as the Holy Spirit brings conviction. We don't just let things slide. When the Holy Spirit points some sin in our lives and even some blind spots, something we haven't seen before, or realize we've sinned, we're sinning. We need to confess that to God and repent. That's our responsibility in order to be right with God. Maintaining our fellowship with the Lord, having peace with God. Remember, our faith with God is our fellowship with God and our obedience to him. The next section that James deals with in chapter 2 is verses 14 through 26. Faith without works is dead, which is the title of this message today. Faith without works is dead. Our faith in the Lord, what we believe in God, and our fellowship with him has to marry with what we do. James is telling us here that there must be consistency consistency in our relationship with God by the way we live, how we live it, how we live our, our lives out. And it is here that Satan, the enemy of our souls, tries his best to ruin us, ruin our testimony by him consistently trying to get us to sin so that our lives will be ineffective before God. So yeah, this is a consistent battle. 
we as believers have with Satan. James is showing us here how to continually experience victory in our lives. Amen? So verses 14 through 17 says, what is the benefit or what good is it, my fellow believers, if someone claims or says, I have faith, you have salvation, you're born again, you're a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but has no good works as evidence. No fruit that you are saved or very little fruit. What this is saying is, it's one thing to be born again. And yes, we're saved and have eternal life with Jesus Christ. So we're covered. But what about others who see our life and are new and that are not born again yet? If they're not seeing any fruit, how will they see God in our lives? And maybe God can't use our testimony to encourage someone else to be drawn to God as a result of, our, of observing our lives. It kind of reminds me of the commercial, where's the beef? Do you remember that, the Wendy's commercial from 1984? Y'all ain't that old or that young. Where's, you know, where the, uh, where the three ladies are looking at this great big old bun? The expectation was when I see a big uh, bun, it means that there is a lot of beef. But when one of them pulled the bun off, they see a ridiculously small round burger there. And so one of them asked, where's the beef? Where is it at? I came to get a hamburger. I'm hungry. And I get this, I was expecting more. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus makes the distinction between good fruit and bad fruit, talking about how to recognize false prophets, you will recognize them by their fruit, the product that reveals where their heart really is at, fruit that has to do with what we do, our actions. So James is saying, if, you're, if you say you have faith, you're born again, but there is no works or fruit that would be Inconsistent, inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus Christ, what, what good would that be? And so James asks, can that kind of faith save him? Now, in other words, no, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith, faith produces good works. James is urging us, challenging us as believers to be consistent and our walk with God, and in how we are living, claiming to be born again. To further drive this point home to us, that faith without works is dead or useless, James illustrates how this would look in verses 15 through 17. He says, 
if a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks enough food for each day, and one of you says to them, go in peace with, uh, with my blessings, keep warm and, and fed, feed yourself, but he does not give them the necessities for the body, what good does that do? So too, faith, if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead, inoperative, and ineffective. It is impossible to have, uh, or, it is, or rather, it is possible to have a useless faith that not accomplishes anything in life. If we say we trust God, then it should affect what we do. Once we become Christians by faith alone, our faith has to interconnect with or interconnect to works. What do I do? But just remember what verse 12 says in essence. We all are going to stand before God one day to give an account of our lives to God on how we lived, what we did. We're going to be judged by what we did in our life. True faith, true faith that God wants to see in us is a faith that obeys the word progressively and serves others. We see a legitimate need and meet that need in practical ways. So James, so, so what James is saying here is that if we see that someone is hungry, they don't need a sermon from us. They need a hand, they need a ham sandwich. He's just saying, let's put our faith in action by helping those in need in practical ways. Verse 18 says, but someone might say, you claim to have faith and I claim to have good works. Show me your alleged faith without works, if you can, and I will show you my faith by my works, that is, by what I do. James' main point here is that the only possible evidence of true faith is works. Now, let, now let's not get this confused, because some people think that James is contradicting Paul, who says, a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, Romans chapter 3, verse 28. But Paul there is talking about how a sinner becomes a saint, whereas James here is talking about how a saint can reflect God's character to others based on how we conduct ourselves, our lives here on earth in obedience to God. Let me say this again. James here is talking about how a saint can reflect God's character to others based on how we conduct our lives here on earth in obedience to God. To further drive home James' point in verse 17 says, so too, faith, if it does not have works to back it up, is by itself dead inoperative and ineffective. And verse 20 says, but here you willingly, but, but are you willingly, are you willing to recognize, you foolish 
spiritually shallow person that faith without good works is useless. James says in verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well to believe that. The demons also believe that and shudder and bristle in all feel terror. They have seen his wrath. Satan all and all his demons know all about the doctrine of God. They believe in the doctrine of God. They all know the truth about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they've decided by an act of their own will to reject Jesus Christ as their Lord, Lord and Savior. They've decided not to place themselves under God's authority. They say, no, I am, I am my own authority. In fact, Lucifer, Satan, said, and as you remember, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 and 14, I will ascend to the heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. You know, this is, this is Lucifer saying this. Just for kicks, also look at Luke 10, verse 18 on your own. You, re you remember the devil actually wanted Jesus Christ to bow down to him and worship him. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. So they will not submit themselves under God, and they do not have a love relationship with God at all. They all know their judgment is coming. That's Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. And are horrified about that and that they only have a short time remaining. Revelations chapter 12, verse 12. But again, James' whole point here is if we say we have faith in the Lord, but in our life there is no fruit, there is no evidence, our life just doesn't match with what we say then the truth is, the truth is our so-called faith in God is useless, dead, inoperative. It just doesn't exist. Lastly, the two people mentioned here in verses 21 and 25, 21 through 25, Abraham and Rahab, the prostitute, both demonstrated their belief in God by what they did. Verses 20, verse 21 through 24 says, Was our father Abraham not shown to be justified by works of obedience which expressed his faith when he offered Isaac his son on the altar as a sacrifice to God? You see that his faith was working together with his works. And as a result of the works, his faith was completed, reaching its maturity when he expressed his faith through obedience. And the scriptures was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. And this faith was credited to him by God as, as righteousness and as, con and as conformity to his will. And he was called the friend of God. You remember Jesus Christ said in John 15, 14, you are my friends 
if you do whatever I command you. Going back to James chapter 2, verse 24, it says, you see that a man, a believer, is justified, made right with God by works and not by faith alone. That is, by acts of obedience, a born-again believer reveals his faith. Understand, when Abraham offered his beloved only son, Isaac, on the altar, that act of obedience didn't save Abraham because he had already believed God and had his faith credited as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. It's in Genesis 22 that God called Abraham to sacrifice his son. When Abraham obeyed, then God confirmed his intent to bless him and make a great nation of him. Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. So it was by works what he did in response to God's command. His faith was made complete or matured. Amen? Our faith has to be demonstrated, not just talked about. It's all about doing in order to be acceptable in God's sight. Understand this is God's kingdom agenda. This is what God wants to see happen. So this is what we do as followers of Jesus Christ the Lord. So a believer is justified by God's grace through faith alone as it relates to our salvation. And a believer is justified by what we do works through our acts of obedience to God for usefulness here on earth. This is what verse 24 is saying. Now let's look at Rahab, the prostitute. Yes, I mentioned she was a prostitute because that's what scripture says she was. And that didn't stop God Almighty from using her because it's, it's God who doesn't show favoritism to anyone. We all have equal opportunity to be loved by God and to be heard, appreciated, affirmed, acknowledged, valued, experienced affection by God. So Rahab was justified, made right before God by her works, what she did so that others could see. Remember, she endangered her life in order to help uh, those Israelite spies. To be willing to do that showed she had already placed her trust in God. This justification by works brought her deliverance and victory for history to see. That would be Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 19, and chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, you Bible students. So in closing, the last verse, verse 26 says, for just as the human body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works of obedience is also dead. What James is saying here is this, 
it is possible that a believer's faith, our acts of obedience to God, can gradually decline in effectiveness unless our faith is constantly put to work. The whole point here is this. The big takeaway is this. It is work. It is work in this sense to always remain faithful to God. In spite of what my mind, will, and emotions tells me at times, apart from the will of God revealed in Scripture, my faith in the Lord must always match what I do in my life. And what I do in my life must always match my faith in the Lord. It is about pleasing God. This is, this is, king, this is his kingdom agenda. Will you and I be faithful to God? Our Lord has already equipped us to do it. It's all up to us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to faithfully honor God and obey the Lord on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Amen? In today's message, God brought to light through James that to show or to have Favoritism to others is sin. And also, faith without works is dead. What links these two topics together in chapter 2 is my confessing sin, obeying and doing the will of God in my life. It's all about the doing. It's all about the doing. Just like the example of an alcoholic. If they really want to be delivered from their addiction to booze, they have to first admit and say the painful truth that I am an alcoholic. It's painful because it is admitting to weakness. And people typically don't want to admit to weaknesses because of pride. The same is true for those who have never asked Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the mind of all the unbelieving, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them and they be saved. If you are here today and you haven't trust Christ, Jesus Christ, then that's why. Because Satan has blinded your mind to the truth. It's Satan. This is real. He's blinded your mind to the truth. Satan's blinded your mind. You don't have to continue to uh, go on like that. Admit to God right now that you need help. Your life is a mess. If you know that to be true of you, then you are at a great place to allow God to change you from the inside out. Allow God to show you from the Bible that he loves you and that eternal life with our Lord awaits you. God will give you real purpose and meaning in your life. I can testify to that. 
As a result, you will grow to be joyful, encouraged, and stable in your life. Now, this doesn't mean that all your problems are going to go away in your life. But my God will show you how to think, how to live your life. And God will help you to become the person he wants you to be. Now, this is probably not going to be easy, but God will be with you and he will help you to grow to maturity in Christ. So do you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? This part is simple. Just simply agree with the Lord that you need help. You are lost and without a Savior. Amen? Number one, realize that the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it is, it is appointed for men to die once, but after that, the judgment. Number two, repent. The Bible says, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And number three, receive. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Church, let's bow in prayer and this is the end of the message today. But let's, let's bow. Lord, I presented your word. I have no idea how this is going to affect people. Your word, you, you say your word would not return void. So I trust that, I pray that it, it has encouraged us. You know, if there's, if there's, there's people that are convicted, then let that happen. If there's someone who has asked Jesus Christ into their life or would want to, I pray that happens as well. And if someone wants to talk with me or their leadership or a pastor after this time, and do that. But Lord, I pray that your word would have its way. And I pray this would be also an encouragement to continue to stay in the word and allow you to grow us up. Lord, my purpose was to give you glory and honor. And I pray that took place. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.